delivered library books to remote hamlets by horseback, rescued flood victims, painted giant murals on the walls of hospitals, high schools, courthouses, and city halls, performed plays and played music before eager audiences, and wrote guides to the forty-eight states that even today remain models for what such books should be. And when the clouds of an oncoming world war eventually shadowed Europe in darkness and loomed over the United States, it was the WPA's workers who modernized army and air bases and trained in vast numbers to supply the nation's military needs. In fact, there was scarcely anything they did not do. The WPA lasted for eight years. Its accomplishments were enormous, yet during its lifetime it was the most excoriated program of the entire New Deal. Its workers were mocked as shiftless shovel-leaners. Its projects gave rise to a mocking new word, boondoggles. Red-baiting congressmen called it a hotbed of communists. Its very initials became a taunt. WPA said its critics stood for we piddle around. And at the end of its life, amid the global fight to save democracy that was World War II, the WPA sank virtually unnoticed. On July 1, 1943, as the United States and the Allies fought against the Axis forces of Nazi Germany, Fascist Italy, and Imperial Japan that had conquered much of Europe and the Pacific Rim of Asia, the WPA's obituary was buried on page 9 of the New York Times, along with the news that a San Francisco jury had found band leader Gene Krupa guilty of contributing to the delinquency of a minor for having his young valet carry marijuana cigarettes. WPA pays up and quits, read the single-column headline followed by four brief paragraphs. These described the Work Projects Administration as it was known then in skeletal statistics. Unnamed officials said that the WPA spent about $10,500,000,000 and employed 8,500,000 persons since its inception in 1935, and that it had sent back $105 million in unspent funds and $25 million worth of supplies and materials to the U.S. Treasury. Like the spiritless obituary of a forgotten celebrity, the perfunctory notice gave no hint of the passions its subject once inspired. It barely suggested the WPA's sweeping, nation-changing mission. It said nothing at all about its incalculable value in rebuilding, and often actually building the country's infrastructure and training vast numbers of workers to meet the demands of wartime. It left unmentioned its place in the national consciousness, the turmoil it generated, the vitriol hurled at it, the controversies that swirled around it. Politicians had grown hoarse in attack and just as hoarse in its defense. Yet after consuming miles of newsprint and vats of ink, the WPA was reduced at its death to numbers on a balance sheet. It died because it no longer had reason to exist. War production had America's factories turning out planes, warships, and cargo vessels, guns big and small, and ammunition to feed them. Jeeps, tanks, and troop carriers, tires, clothing, and boots, medical supplies.
refineries were working to capacity. With men fighting overseas, labor of all kinds was in short supply. Women put on coveralls and safety goggles, riveting and welding to help meet the industrial labor shortage. What seemed like novelty at the start quickly became the norm. The 25% unemployment rate of a decade earlier would reach 1.9% in 1943. The next year it would fall below 1%. Bread lines and shantytowns were a bad memory, now that the WPA had made it possible to forget them. World War II raged on for two more years, and when it was over, rather than look back at an anguishing past, Americans were ready to move on. They stored their memories of the Depression in a dim corner of the attic and passed along its traumatic residues to new generations in the form of ludicrous habits of thrift.